The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. All right, good afternoon. Steve and Jim have known each other for a long time. And Steve and Jim have been going to the same church for years. And they have this disagreement between the two. And Jim ends up saying something behind Steve's back. And Steve finds out about it. And there's this division between the two. And now they avoid each other. And it's uncomfortable for these two guys to even be in the same room at the same time. And Steve doesn't want to go to that community group anymore because Jim goes there. And even going to Sundays have now become difficult for him to go as well. Mary went to a different church before coming here. And she was hurt by something that happened at the church. And she really likes this church. And she really seems to like the people in this church. And she wants to be part of the church. And she wants to belong. And she wants to let herself open. But she's afraid. She's afraid that she's going to get hurt again. So she comes in late. And she leaves early. And she normally doesn't talk to anybody. She has to work up the courage on Sunday mornings in order to come to church. Richard is struggling with sin. And he knows he's not doing what he should or he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. But he keeps doing it. And because of this, he feels guilty and he feels ashamed. And he would be totally humiliated if anybody found out what was going on at all. And he feels like on Sunday morning, like everyone can see right through him. So he starts to come less and less. And when he is here, he doesn't talk as much to anybody. He doesn't reach out as much to anybody. All three of those stories involve someone who was part of a church, but in one way or another, they now feel like they don't belong to the church. There's this loss of unity and this loss of community that they feel. They feel like they're not part of the group anymore, that they're not part of what's going on. But those aren't the only groups of people who don't feel sometimes like they're part of it. Those are circumstances that have created that. But for others, sometimes people don't feel like they're part of the community, part of the church, part of the unity, simply because they're shy. They're uncomfortable around other people, and they don't really know what to say or what to do. They don't really know the right questions to ask. And so for some people, they never really feel that unity and that fellowship. For others, they've had it, but now that feeling is gone. That feeling of unity community is gone. All of these people need to hear the truth in love. They need to hear the truth that God says that they are part of the body, that they are loved, that they are needed, and that God sees them as essential. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at building the church in love, building the community and this unity that the church is designed for. So uh, let's look at our passage. We, uh, a bunch of the slides are going to be up over here. Uh, so the first one, let me get that up. Here we go. And this is found in Ephesians 4, it's verses 1 to 3, then we're going to jump to 15 and 16. 15 and 16 what we're going to be concentrating on today. But it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, 
into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And let me just pray before we get started here. Father God, we come before you now, Lord, as a brand new church. We come to you as a people who want to build community, a people who want to reach out to each other, a people who want to build our lives together so that we are the body of Christ, so that we are who you say we are, so that we work properly, Lord, so that we are your body and your church. So be with us uh, today as we look to your word, Lord, and help us to see this and to understand this and to know how to do this, Lord. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. So this whole section in Ephesians 4, and specifically verses 4 through 16, is talking about the unity of the body. And so we want to ask ourselves, first of all, what is the goal of unity as we look at this? And the goal is to grow into Christ as we look through this passage. It's to grow in love, and it's to do the ministry of the work. See, a church needs to be united if it's going to grow. A church needs to be united if its people are going to mature. A church needs to be united if it's going to be able to withstand false doctrine. It needs to be united if it's going to build itself up in love and it's going to do the work of the ministry. And as one commentator said, disunity opens the door to Satan, his angels, and false teaching. Paul says we are to grow up into him, into Christ, so Paul says two things. He says we're supposed to grow up into Christ who is the head. And then he says the church is from God himself. And so as we look at that, we say we're to grow into him, but it's from him. And so what does that mean, grow into him, even though the church is from him? So when he says that we're to grow into Christ, and that Christ is the head, he's saying that Christ is the authority. That it's to Christ that we submit ourselves to. And when he says grow into Christ, we are to become Christ-like. And Paul talks a lot about this in Ephesians. He's going to talk about it later on. But so, under the authority of Christ, and becoming Christ-like, we grow into that. Um, he then says that the whole body is from God. The body of Christ, the church, this community, is a gift from God. We are God's people, and God has promised us fellowship. And he has promised us this community. And this is both a promise and a command. It's both a command to fellowship and a promise. So if we look at the greatest commandment, God says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a command to do this. But it's also a promise as well. So John was writing the first book, or the book of 1 John. He's telling them about Christ, and he says, this is why we tell you about Christ and his resurrection. It's so that you can have fellowship with us as we have fellowship with God. And that our fellowship together may be complete. So that we'll have this promise of fellowship. He says so that the joy can be complete. And in Revelations, we see God walking with us. He walks with us when we're looking at heaven. And we're going to have this great wedding feast. And we're going to be with God. And we're going to be with others. So... That's the promise that God gives us. So this goal in unity that we have is to make the body grow now while we're here on earth. It's to build itself up with Christ as the head, with Christ as the authority, 
and with fellowship as the promise of things to come and things to be here. So one of our goals in this fellowship is to build each other up. It's to build each other up, to help each other to grow in Christ. Um, can I just grab my water, hon, real quick? So, um, <laughs> so it's funny, I was telling Mickey here, it's like, you know, I've preached many, many times, and right, so King and Grace is like over 100 people, right? 150 if there's a lot of people there, and I never get nervous. But I tell Mickey, I don't know why I'm like so nervous, just like, just like terrified to be in front of, you know, small, small people. I think probably what it is is, is my eyes aren't that good, I don't wear my glasses, and so people are like sleeping in the back, I can't see them. <laughs> But my parents are like, well, people are sleeping. I'm going to see this right now. So, or if Jacob's like, what's he saying? That doesn't make any sense. Then I can see it in his, <laughs> his eyes. But anyway, so I'm relaxing. So who, <laughs> right. so who is the body? Who is the body of Christ, right? Paul says the whole body, joined and held together with every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working. This means everyone. Everyone here who's in the church, that's that look that Jacob's giving me, what do you mean everybody, not Christians, not Christians, no. Anybody who's in the church is part of the church, right? So there's not a single person here who was not part of the body. There's not a person here that Paul isn't talking to, that God hasn't made these promises to. But not everyone always feels like that, right? Not everyone feels like they're part of the body. Who's most likely to not feel that way as we, as we think this through? The new person is most likely not going to feel they're part of it. The shy person doesn't always feel like they're part of it. The person who's been hurt before, like Mary from the first story, isn't likely to feel part of it. The person who's struggling with guilt, the person who's struggling with shame, the person who is actively seeking, and the person who has these relational problems with other people aren't going to feel that. But that doesn't change anything. Right? It doesn't change what God says the way we feel. And God says there's not a person here who is not vital. Right? Sometimes we feel like we're not vital because we can't contribute, because we don't know enough, because we're not mature enough, because we can't uh, talk to people, because we don't come enough. But that is not true. The passage says everyone here is part of the church. Everyone here is uh, vital. And so I have a quote here. Um, oh, excellent. Um, Guy, by a guy named Max Anders, he says, we must recognize that we belong to one another. We need one another, no matter how insignificant we think our contribution is. As Francis Schaeffer used to say, there are no little people in the kingdom of God, and there are no little jobs. Just as a physical body needs red corpuscles and livers more than it needs a handsome face or beautiful hair, so we all belong, and we are all necessary. We all can contribute, and when we do, we all grow to maturity in Christ. So Paul compares us to a body. What do we know about how God looks at a body? In Psalms 139, we have an overhead for this. Psalm 39 says this, um, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It is not just we who are here today, 
but it's the new people that God will bring in as well. Because God looks at this church, and God, the way he designs the body, designs the church, and he sees when it's in its unformed substance. He intricately weaves it together. And so there's people here who will be here that God knows already. He has made part of this body. God knows every day of this church and what's going to happen. He knows every single person who will be at this church. And he knows it already. That's the care and that's the love that he has for the body. So this passage says we are to speak the truth in love. According to John Stott, let me read this. He says, speaking the truth in love is not the best rendering of this expression. For the Greek verb makes no reference to our speech. Literally, it means truthing in love. and includes the notions of maintaining, living, and doing the truth. So we speak the truth in love. We live the truth in love. We teach the truth in love. We act the truth in love. In this section, if you notice it, it begins talking about love, it ends talking about love, and in the middle it's talking about love. Three different times if you read uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, it's in love, in love, in love at all. So this truthing in love um, is the opposite of, so let me just jump in here. This, this passage started with the word rather, rather speaking the truth in love. So the one before, the passage before, talked about um, um, not being immature, not being tossed, or like little children. So we shouldn't be like little children tossed to and fro by the waves and driven by every wind of doctrine. So this truthing in love and speaking in love is the opposite of that immaturity that he was just talking about. It's the opposite of being swept away by every wind of wind of doctrine. And so that's part of the thing with speaking the truth in love is to help each other mature and to help fight false doctrine as well. And so it's more than speaking in truth and love, but it's not less than speaking the truth in love. And so it is speaking in truth and love. Because when we interact with people, when we talk to people, we talk to people, right? So all of our interaction involves talking to people. So it is definitely speaking the truth in love as well, right? When God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke. When Jesus Christ raised people from the dead, when he did his miracles, when he you know, healed the blind and the lame and everything, he spoke. And we speak to each other as well. And later on in Ephesians, Paul goes in this great deal of how we speak to each other. But so this whole concept of speaking the truth of love is found throughout the entire Bible. So we just speak the truth, and we're to speak it in uh, love. So here's Max uh, Anders again. Uh, he says, speaking the truth in love is a mark of maturity, which will enable us to grow up spiritually. Immature people often fall into one of two opposite errors. They speak the truth, but without love. Or they love without speaking the truth. When we do the first, we often brutalize others, pounding them with the truth, but doing it in an unloving way. When we do the second, we don't tell others the truth, thinking that by shielding from their truth, from the truth, we are sparing them from pain. We are not, however. All we are doing is delaying their maturity. To share the truth with our fellow believers is a mark of maturity, but we are to do it with love, with understanding, and with compassion. John Stott says, truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. And love becomes soft if it is not strengthened 
by truth. We need both truth and love. And we need it for evangelism as well. Uh, John MacArthur says evangelism is most effective when truth is proclaimed in love. So, speaking the truth in love, we need both truth and we need love. And this passage says we're supposed to grow, and we're supposed to grow in this unity. So, the question is, how do we grow as a body? Our passage says, we grow up in every way when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. It is the speaking of truth and love. And so this is what the prophets, the evangelists, the apostles do. This is what the shepherds and the teachers do. And they, the, the, the pastors and the teachers do this corporately. They speak the truth to love, speak the truth to us in love in a corporate situation. But unity is more than just coming and just being taught. Unity and community is a lot more than just listening to someone get up here and speak. It's something that we do together. It's something that we do with each, with each other. Um, so we speak the truth in love with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And one of the most important things to remember when we're speaking the truth and love to someone is that every single person is different. Every single situation is different. There's nothing cookie cutter about it because God has not made any two people the same. Every single person is different. Sometimes when we're talking to someone, we're talking to someone who is, a, who is um, in outright rebellious sin. Other time we're talking to someone who's suffering, who's struggling, who's weak. These two people are completely different. And when we talk to these people, we have to talk to these people completely different. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5.13 says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. That word is also uh, uh, unruly in certain ones. Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Everyone is treated, according to Paul, the way they need to be treated. If someone is unruly, right, we need to admonish them. And we need, to admonish means to warn or to reprimand strongly. So we need to admonish the unruly. And we need to be firm with some people. We do it out of patience and love, with gentleness, with kindness. But we need to do that. When he says we encourage the faint-hearted, we would never, ever use that same admonishment. We would never, ever reprimand someone who's faint-hearted. We would never reprimand someone who is weak, right? If we reprimand the fearful, what do they do? They crumble. If we reprimand someone who is fearful, they crumble. And Paul is saying we need to um, encourage them instead. We need to remind him of the promises of God. We need to remind him that God said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And when we help the weak, we come alongside of them. We help them when we're down. We help them when we're struggling. Listen to what David Paulson says. He says, every psalm, every letter, every gospel, we do have this one, uh, every psalm, every letter, every gospel, every prophet is different. The same Redeemer God speaks and engages diverse people. And because the people face different problems and are prone to different struggles, his words and actions always come handcrafted. The same with your words and action. 
That's what it means to counsel the living Christ to one another. You might affirm one person, challenge another, teach another, walk beside another, and listen to another. And you may weep with another. Or you may do it all with the same person. But the wisdom of God is appropriate. It's flexible and it's timely wisdom. That's what it means to speak the truth in love. This is how the church is built up, is by speaking with other people and bringing this truth into their lives. So what we're talking about is unity and how we build unity and how we speak the truth into others' lives. So let's just take a minute and look at some of the obstacles to unity and how do we overcome these obstacles. And I just want to look at three of them. But the first one is a discontent, grumbling spirit. It's someone who is dissatisfied. Someone who is dissatisfied with the leaders or with the people, with the building, with the community groups, with the preaching. doesn't matter. It's someone who is dissatisfied. And not only do they grumble on the inside, but they complain and they gossip on the outside as well. Right? These people are never happy. Nothing is good enough. And they're quick to vent. They bring others into their anger and their bitterness and their un forgiveness. And we all know people like this, right? Whether it's at uh, work or at school or in the family, other churches, but we know what it does to the body. So talk about a hard situation, right? Talk about a hard situation, but they need to hear the truth in love. So my suggestion is to get Jacob to do it. <laughs> but if he's not there, and we have to, right? <laughs> it's hard, right? We know how hard this is. It's hard enough to bring truth to anyone in the first place, right? Let alone to bring truth to the person like that. Let alone, you know, to do it in love, right? Because what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to say nothing. We're tempted to do nothing. We're tempted to just not speak with them. Or if we do, we go with fear and with, you know, with uh, trembling. So how do we do it? We begin in prayer, first of all. And then just like Paul says, we do it in gentleness. We do it in humility. We do it in patience. We do it bearing with them. We do it eager to maintain the bond of peace. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, 24-26. I think we have this one written out as well. It says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured to do as well. So that's one of the obstacles to it, right, is if a person's like that. The other obstacle, like I mentioned with the story of uh, Steve and Jim, is sometimes there's relational problems that are in there. And these break down that community, and they break, they break down that fellowship. And so it could be something like, like this where, you know, Steve's talking behind Jim's back, or Jim behind Steve, and they find out about it. Could be that. Could be something as, you know, being slighted, being left off an email list unintentionally. It could be any number of different things where we feel this tension behind these relational things. And these are the things that are going to, um, you know, break down. It's going to break down that um, fellowship. And these situations are real. These situations happen. These situations happen uh, um, in families. They happen in churches. They're just relational things that we happen. We see this all the time. So how do we overcome this? What does Jesus say? And uh, if we have the overhead for this one, 
Um, Jesus says a couple different things. No, we don't have any more? Okay. <laughs> I keep saying that, but I don't look, and then when I look over there. So, all right, so here it is. I'm trying not to read too much, but I realize as I'm doing it, I'm reading a lot, but I don't mean to. So let me just kind of paraphrase these last two, these next two things rather than read it. Jesus says this. He says that if you're standing and praying, and you realize that something, that someone has something against you, you're supposed to go to that person. They have something against you. Then he says, if you're going to offer your, oh, that's the opposite. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so here's what happened. He says, if something has, someone has something against you, you're supposed to go to that person. If you have something against someone, you're supposed to go to that person. There is no escape. If there's relational things, it's you who are to initiate that. That's what Christ says. Someone has it against you, you talk to them. You have it against them, you talk to them. Paul later on says that if anyone has a complaint against one another, we're supposed to bear with each other. We're supposed to forgive each other. Jesus Christ has forgiven us, and we're supposed to forgive other people the same way that Jesus Christ did. So we want to reconcile these relationships. We need to forgive them. We need to speak the truth in love to them. The final category I just want to mention is inner uh, obstacles. These could be ones that are uh, selfishness. could be like a me-focused attitude. Maybe you just don't want to leave your house. Maybe you like being home and you just plain don't want to leave. Maybe you're too busy. Maybe there's just too much stuff going on. But it could be uh, that you want to be more involved in people's lives, and you would if you could, but you just don't really know how. You don't know where to begin. You don't know what, it is, what to say to people in order to do that. So what I want to do is spend a couple minutes just talking about some practical different ways to talk to people. The reason I want to do that is because all relationships are based on talking to people. And speaking the truth in love is based on talking to people. It's how the body grows. It's how we become a community. It's how we get this unity that he's talking about. So Ed Welch wrote this book that I recommend to anyone. And I bought this copy. So anybody who wants it, uh, if you want to do it, I'll leave it right here. You can do a fantastic book. Um, absolutely wonderful. Um, but I just want to just talk about what he said in the book real quick. So. He says that most people don't ask for help. He says desperate people don't ask for help. You'd think that they would, but he said even desperate people don't ask for help. Um, so what we need to do is we need to take the initiative. And we need to move toward people. God moved towards us. And so we move towards others <coughs> in his name. The first thing we do is just begin by just greeting people. Just simply saying hi. We say hi to the new person. We say hi to the returning, the new person who's come again. We say hi to the ones who are introverts. We say hi to the ones who are sitting alone. We say hi to the marginalized. We say hi to the children. We say hi to everybody. But it just begins just by saying hi. And then we start to develop relationships. We move from just saying hi to having conversations with them. And so lots of times at first when conversations may seem awkward. But as we, as we work on this, it becomes easier and easier just simply by the more we do it. But Ed Wells says that we're looking for something when we have the conversations. Because as we get to know people, we just ask them common interests, common things. Did you watch the football game last night? What do you think of this? You know, whatever. What are you doing for the fall? And you, you know, when did you get married if you're married? Just different questions like that. But then he says we look for something as we have these conversations. 
And what we look for is anything that sparks emotion in their lives. So anything that they love, anything that they hold dear, anything that they're afraid of, anything that seems hard for them when you talk to them. And he says this, he says, when we're happy, we possess something that we love. When we're anxious, something that we love is at risk. When we're despondent, something that we love has been lost. And when we're angry, something that we love is either stolen or kept from us. And so we listen for these things. So if we listen to the anxious, so that if they seem anxious, we try to find out what is it that they love that's at risk. If they're despondent, what is it that they've lost? If they're angry, what is it that they're that is either going to be stolen from them or kept from them or that they can't get. And we listen for these things. We listen for these emotions. We listen to these affections because these things are the windows into their soul. They're what's on their heart. So if they get you know, excited about something, we start talking about it. And so, for example, if someone starts talking about the holidays and they're going to go and they're going to go you know, see their family and they're out of state and stuff, that could be, oh, I'm really excited to do it. Or there could be that trepidation they don't really want to go because they know there's going to be conflict and stuff. And so a simple thing like going out of town, we listen. And that's where we start to build those conversations. Our heart issues or health issues always come to the chance that it's, they're either uh, you know, fearful or they're thankful. You know, they're fearful for what's happened. They're afraid of what's going to go. Or they're thankful. It's like, you know, or they, they show faith in those situations, right? Fear or faith, those things like that. But we listen to them. We try to find out what's important to them. And then what we do is we bring God's truth to their lives. We make that connection between the gospel and what Christ says and what they're going through right now. And that's going to make an impact because this is what they hold dear. This is what's important to them. And we, and we listen to it and we find that we try to do this. And we build each other up. And so the person who is struggling, we come beside him and we build him up. The one who's afraid, we give him uh, um, you know, faith. We help him to see these different things. If it is someone who's uh, you know, uh, with the sinful person and we hear this and we kind of see this anger and we see this and everything else that's going on, we address that in those ways. But this is how we build this conversation. It's how we build each other up. It's how we see what it is and know what it is that we're talking to. Then we pray for them. And we pray for them. And the next time we see them, we follow up. And so that person who went to the um, holiday, we say, hey, how did the holiday go? Did you get a chance to talk to your brother? Was he nice, or, or did he throw mashed potatoes at you again, <laughs> like he did last time? So we try to find out, we follow up, and we follow up, and we pray. And that's what it is that's going to build up that community. And so when a church is working properly, and the body is growing, and it's building itself up in love, what does that look like? It looks like speaking the truth in love to each other. It's each of us initiating conversations with each other and bringing that word of God to bear unto their lives. So remember, we are growing into Christ. He is our authority. And we are striving to say with Paul, it is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives within me. We are to grow into Christ. And this body that God has given is his gift. It's his design for us. And so those longings in your heart, that longing to be a part, that longing to 
belong, that longing to have these deep relationships, that's from God. That's from God. And that's right. And those frustrations and those empty feelings of unfulfilled or broken or lost relationships are from God because God has designed us to live in relationship. God himself has never not been in a relationship. He has never not been in fellowship. He is Trinity from the beginning. And what did Jesus say when he was on the cross, when he bore our sins, when he paid that punishment, what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The result of sin is broken relationships. And Jesus felt the result of sin when he was on the cross. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And what is that joy? Today you will be with me in paradise. You will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will wipe away every tear. I will walk with you in the garden in the new Jerusalem. Our longings for community and for relationship will be filled, fulfilled forever when we are in heaven. Let me just pray. Father God, we come before you now. And Lord, I just, uh, Lord, I just pray, Lord, just for our church here, Lord. I pray that we will be that body, Lord. That we will be knit together. That every one of us, every, every joint will operate right. Lord, you have called us all here. There's none that you have not called. But we're your children. And you have called us into fellowship with each other. And you have called us into fellowship with you, Lord. So I pray that you might strengthen us, Lord, in our relationships, in our fellowships. Lord, I pray that you help us all to initiate conversations, that we might build this unity up, that we might come together as a body, that this is one of the ways that we can encourage and strengthen, Lord. And I just uh, pray for those who aren't here yet, Lord. I pray for those who will come over the next weeks and months and years and decades, Lord that you have already ordained to be here, Lord, that you have already ordained, Lord, that you have knit together, that you are knitting together, Lord, in the deep places. We praise you for that now, in your precious and your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.